The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Keith Fitzgerald. He's the editor of the Total Wealth Newsletter and also chief investment strategist at moneymorning.com. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background in the investment business uh, before we get to the, the current uh, topics. Sure. I've spent at this point in time over 30 some odd years working with global financial markets. I've been a trader and analyst consultant uh, for much of that time working with clients around the world. And presently now, I'm Chief Investment Strategist for MoneyMorning.com and Total Wealth Research. Over 7.5 million people depend on us every single month for financial counsel and uh, perspective. And so people can find out more about it at MoneyMorning.com. Just to explain briefly, there's a free service, and there's a paid service. Explain how that all works. Absolutely. Uh, the two places to go to join the family are TotalWealthResearch.com or moneymorning.com, and the idea is there that we are going to give you the information that Washington can't and Wall Street won't. The idea is that we can give you, the individual investor, tools and perspective that you can use to make informed decisions, not decisions that are guided to feed or separate you from your money. Very good. Let's start with the most current situation, which is what's happening now with Greece. Uh, Greece seems to be on the verge of default. They had this big no vote yesterday. What are the uh, worldwide... Uh, economic implications of uh, the kind of crisis going on in Greece and Europe here? Well, it depends, Jordan, whether you're talking about political implications or you're talking about financial implications. From a political standpoint, this is huge because you're talking about a nation that has become the first developed nation to effectively devolve or deassociate itself from the euro and the EU. This wasn't contemplated when that currency was put into effect. Uh, from an economic standpoint, you know, Greece really has a capital market that's about the size of Dunkin' Donuts, a couple hundred billion dollars in capitalization, a million dollars in capitalization. So you've got a question you've got to ask is, you know, is the American market going to miss Dunkin' Donuts if it went out of business? Yeah, it probably would, but it isn't going to be a big deal in the scheme of things. So financially, it's not a huge deal unless the derivatives exposure turns out to be worse than people thought. And that's the question that is plaguing traders worldwide. That's why the markets have sold off right now is because the banks are trying to reassess their counter, what's called counterparty risk in terms of the derivatives trading related to Greek debt. Supposedly, the European Central Bank has so-called ring-fenced uh, Greece to prevent any contagion. Do you think that's going to work? Well, you know, you've got to take that with a, with a grain of salt. That's what the Fed thought about U.S. financial markets, too. Um, now, at this point in time, I have got to believe that the ECB has watched very carefully what's happened here, and I've got to believe that they've known this was coming for months. So whether it's ring fest or there's a contagion, I don't know. Do I think they're as prepared as they can be? Yes. So what do you think is going to happen in Greece, assuming that they do go out of the euro, uh, they're not able to over euros. They pretty much default on the $360 billion they owe, whatever it may be. How is life going to continue in Greece without a, a currency? I mean, they just print drachmas and everything's fine. I mean, how is it going to work? 
Well, there's obviously going to be some terrible short-term pain there. Uh, people are going to not find goods on the store shelves. They're not going to be able to get their medicines. They won't be able to literally have cash. Um, the Gre that said, Greece doesn't necessarily have to leave the euro itself. There are exchange mechanisms and assistance mechanisms for non-EU um, countries that are still part of the euro. So that's an, an avenue available to them. Whether or not the rest of the financial parties extend that to them as creditors remains to be seen. But I think they've got about 48 hours, the latest estimate I've heard, before they literally run out of cash. What other precedents have there been for something like this before? I mean, we had a Russian default in 1998, an Argentinian default, I guess it was 2002. What have we learned from past defaults that might affect the current situation we, we've learned from? Well, you know, I wish, Jordan, that we had learned an awful lot. But the fact of the matter is that history is uh, repeating itself quite vigorously. We had the currency crisis here. We had the SNL crisis. We've had a currency crisis flow through much of South America. There's Argentina. Uh, there was the Chinese debt crisis of the early 90s. There was any number of crises over the last 20 years. And unfortunately, every single one of those has been a canary in the coal mine or an opportunity to wake up. Yet political leaders continue to kick the can down the road. If they are smart, uh, Washington and the EU will learn from this and realize that socialism is great as long as you have somebody else's money to spend. It's not when you have to count your own checkbook. Okay, so exactly. The Greeks have been kind of living off of the European uh, largesse for a long time. They've kind of hit a financial brick wall here. Do you think this will have a larger impact, even politically, throughout Europe? There's a big right-wing kind of movement, a kind of anti-socialist movement in a lot of countries like the National Front in France and so on. Will it strengthen the kind of anti-socialist views coming out of all this? You know, that's hard to say, Jordan. I'm not a political expert. My expectation based on, uh, you know, my job is trying to find investments, help people navigate this safely, financially, and securely. Um, I would expect that there would be political judgment and a change in the, the ocean, so to speak. But then again, you know, history, incompetence takes an incredible amount of time and diligent effort. And our political leaders around the world seem to be full of it right now. So let's talk about the economic implications of us. So does this affect Fed Reserve policy, for example? With all this instability in Greece, does that mean the Fed Reserve is less likely to change interest rates for the rest of this year than otherwise they were thinking they might do? I think that's a very astute and sharp question, Jordan. I do believe that. I think that this provides Yellen the out that she's looking for. I think that it gives uh, the Fed additional maneuvering room and it potentially allows them to have a zero interest rate policy for a long time to come on the grounds that this will affect the U.S. economy. So how does that affect the markets? If the Fed's going to stay on hold for even longer, is that a positive for our markets or what is the impact of that on our economy and markets? Well, net-net, the implication is a good one, and the reason is that what's bad is good. The meme has existed since March 2009. The precedent that's been set is that the Fed will come in, that everything will be hunky-dory and great because they will provide cheap capital, which, of course, the markets have become completely addicted to now. The net-net effect is that you have a lot of money chasing few quality stocks. The net processes is which it becomes a bidding up. So things are going to get more expensive for investors. That's actually a good thing because it will give you upside velocity. Is there a long-term downside to having a zero interest policy for such a long time? And, and what, how would that be expressed if there is a downside to all that? 
Well, the downside, of course, is that this is going to end terribly. You know, nobody has ever in the history of money, in the history of humanity, done what central bankers around the world are doing now and, and lived to tell the tale. It works for short periods of time. And, you know, the old adage, nobody's ever gone broke on a cruel accounting is very, very true. As long as they can continue to print and they can continue to build receivables and payables rather than function on actual cash, then the party goes on. But eventually, now I don't know when, eventually uh, that will come to a screeching halt. And, you know, you got to remember that the failure of the Roman Empire took two, three, four hundred years. So there's, there may be a lot more runway left here than people think. Another canary in the coal mine may be China. Now, China had a huge increase in its stock market, and then lately it's down 30% or so. The, the government there came in with all kinds of measures to prop up the stock market there. What is your outlook for China uh, based on all this? Well, I've spent more than 25 of my 30-some-odd years in this business working around Asian markets. My take is very different than most people. Um, I think that if you want to do well in China, do well in Asia, you've got to go where the growth is. That clearly is the greatest single money creation in the history of mankind. Whether they're communists, whether there's ghost cities, whether there's manipulated currencies or, or even markets is immaterial. What you have is several hundred million people, all of whom want to tap into a higher quality of life. That's going to prompt spending, spending prompts growth. Growth, growth prompts earnings, earnings prompt higher stock price. If there were not a correction, Jordan, I would be extremely concerned right now because corrections are how markets work normally. You need those every now and then to clean the pipes. So this is a healthy correction is what you're saying now? I think it is because you're bleeding out the margin, you're bleeding out the weak money, you're bleeding out the fringe value. I think it's going to allow things to get back to where they ought to be. And every time that happens throughout history, we know very convincingly from history that every time you get a reset like that, there's tremendous amount of opportunity created on the other side. So I actually would be very keen to buy into China, for example, right now. So how would you do it? Individual stocks or are there ETFs or how would you buy into China? The easy way to do it is to buy into the ETFs, um, but I would do so cautiously. I would do so with a dollar cost averaging, so you're looking at a fixed uh, amount every single month. Investors are not trying to time the markets or pick it. What they're doing is lining up with long-term plays. I would also concentrate on ETFs and specific companies that make must-have goods. So power is a good one. Uh, uh, pollution cleanup is a good one. Any of the Chinese educational systems, those are things that they have to tap into. A retail luxury product is a nice to have. That's not something a Chinese consumer needs, but they can't live without water, clean air, and sewer. What are some specific ETFs that would play those must-haves in China? Well, one, for example, right now is the Chinese um, mid-cap HAO. In the interest of full disclosure, that's something we have recommended here. But the full name for that is, is quite a mouthful, actually. Let me pull that up. It's the Claymore Exchange Traded Fund Guggenheim China Small Cap ETF. And the reason why this is interesting is because for small caps are typically where most of the entrepreneurial capital goes in a society. China is no different in that sense. Uh, right now, call buying is exploding on those sorts of things, and that's a nice way to tap into it. The other way to go is for the big state-owned entities uh, that can give you a lot of stability and more accounting transparency. And what is the ETF for the, getting into the state enterprises? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Doggone it. Let me find that right now because uh, I. We can I'm come having, back to it. It's okay. I'm having a Rick Perry moment here, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, Rick I'm glad he's, he's uh, uh, patented that particular idea. All right. Exactly. Now, another uh, 
you say that you should play demographics. The demographics, you know what's going to happen. What, what is one of the largest demographic trends you think we should play, and how does one play it? Well, one of the largest single demographic trends on the planet is actually over in Japan. Um, they have the worst demographics on the planet, the oldest societies, aging very, very rapidly. And what that means is you, you have a couple things. You have a workforce that is not being replenished. You have an absence of measurable immigration policy. And you have uh, literally 30% of that country going to disappear in the next 30, 40 years. The way to play this is not Japanese stock market. The way to play this is the Japanese currency, specifically shorting the Japanese yen. Because what you're doing is you are looking at a currency that has to be perpetually weaker in order to make those Japanese companies stronger. It's a counterintuitive play, but uh, that's what you want to do. And, and is there an ETF that shorts the Japanese yen? Yes, there is. And again, again I'm having an absolute brain <laughs> cramp here. You're just doing it to me. That's okay. That's all right. We'll, we'll come up with that. Actually, I think we're going to go to a break at this point. Uh, my guest this half hour is Keith Fitzgerald. Uh, he's the editor of the Total Wealth Research Newsletter. He's also chief investment strategist at moneymorning.com. You can find out more at moneymorning.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, this half hour, is Keith Fitzgerald. 
He's the editor of the Total Wealth Research Newsletter and also chief investment strategist at MoneyMorning.com. Welcome back to the show, Keith. Good to be back. So let's give people the, the uh, uh, ticker symbols for, uh, first of all, the ETF that shorts the Japanese yen. Absolutely. The ticker on that is YCS. That's Yankee Charlie Sierra. And I think this is one of those trades that is the closest thing to a home run an individual investor is ever going to see. It's something that plays the Japanese situation very clearly, and there's a lot of room left to run. I expect the Japanese yen to be 200 to the dollar or more within the next 12 to 24 months. And where is it now? about 123, 120, somewhere in there, uh, changing a little bit on the Greece situation, but you've got another 50, 60% in that trade easily, I think. And then for the Chinese, you were saying there was uh, the, the mid-cap uh, uh, and small-cap one was HAO. And HAO then, is a small-cap, yep. And, uh, the FXI, large cap, what was that one? Yeah, FXI, FXI is the large-cap. Yep. Now, the trick there, of course, is FXI has a lot of the banks and financial institutions in it, so you want to tread carefully if, if you don't like those things or think that they're going to be a problem. But the other one that's that, intriguing is Charlie X-Ray Sierra Echo, CXSE. It's the Wisdom Tree China X state-owned enterprises. Now, what this does is interesting because state-owned enterprises in China are owned by the state, which is, of course, the Communist Party and the Chinese government. A lot of people don't like that, so they'd rather tap into an entrepreneurial alternative. This is great for those investors because it tracks the investment results of Chinese companies that are not state-owned enterprises or have government ownership of greater than 20%. So it's a good alternative. Very good. Now, you have several long-term trends you call the unstoppables. We talked a little bit about demographics. The second one is what you call scarcity and allocation. So maybe explain what's scarce and how to play that as an investment theme. Absolutely. You know, scarcity and allocation, the, the, first of all, the, the unstoppable trends uh, really come down to something very, very simple. Um, the unstoppable trends are things that the governments cannot screw up. Central bankers cannot stop. Wall Street cannot get in your way. These are things that humans have to have. These are things we're going to need for survival. There are trillions of dollars that are going to get spent behind every single one of these trends in the next 5, 10, 15 years. So, you know, as way I put it euphemistically is every dollar you're going to make for the next 10 years is on this list. And there's six of these major trends, these unstoppable trends that are globally unstoppable. Number one is demographic, the aging population, the changing population. Uh, two is scarcity and allocation. That's things like energy, for example, or water. You know, very little, people don't think about it, but, but California is the canary in the coal mine. It is a serious, serious situation when you have tens of millions of people who do not have access to potable water on a daily basis. There are companies that make filtration. There are companies that have uh, uh, desalinization. There are energy plays around that. Those are things that go into that one. Medicine, would there be an ETF? Would there be a water ETF that would have a bunch of these in one place? There is, but that's a tough one. I think what you want to do is you want to go after an individual company, for example, like American Water Works. Uh, AWK, for example. Uh, the alternative there is you, you're dealing with a proven quantity. It's a proven company. It's got a nationwide footprint. Um, I think that gives you a lot of strength. If you go with an ETF, you are picking up a lot of trash with the cash. So you know, this is one of those instances where I think the individual stock selection is better. Okay. And then now, one of your other... That varies. You know, that, that varies. I, I got to put the caveat in there, Jordan. You know, I mean, that varies by an individual's uh, risk tolerances and, and preferences. Sure. And I have no idea what those are. Okay. The next unstoppable trend is medicine. A lot yep. of things going on in medicine. What would be one or two uh, plays on uh, new forms of medicine that uh, would, would benefit from this trend? 
Well, people talk about new forms of medicine all the time, Jordan. They think, you know, it's, I got to buy the next biotech or I got to buy this. No, I, I don't think so because it's very hard from the thousands of biotechs to pick the one or two companies that are really going to be successful because there's thousands that are not going to make it. On the other hand, if you look at the way medicine is working, you look at the trends in medicine, single-use medical supplies are in fact going to be a market that's going to be around. It's going to get stronger and stronger over time. Some a company like Becton Dickinson, for example, is a great way to play that uh, because that company makes those single-use, it makes cleaning materials, it, makes, it has a nationwide distribution, international distribution. But you can get around the idea of picking an individual company by instead picking the equivalent of picks and shovels in the gold rush. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, then energy is your next unstoppable. Now, we've had, obviously, a big fall in oil prices. Uh, today, even bigger because of the Greece situation. Um, yep. what, people have not made a lot of money in energy in the last year. So what, what is going to turn things around and how do you play that? Well, it depends on how you define making money and how you define energy. You know, to me, energy is a continuum. It's not just one source. Uh, I think the interesting way to play energy, for example, uh, is to not necessarily concentrate on things that are related to the underlying commodity itself, but master limited partnerships, for example. Most of those are very stable, kick off high amounts of income. They have a footprint that is basically like a toll road for energy, for natural gas and oil. It doesn't matter so much what the price of those things is. They have to move it from A to B. They have to process. They have to refine it. And if you get paid in the interim, that's an intriguing uh, possibility for an investor. Particularly, what would be one of your one or two favorite MLPs that you might like? Uh, Williams Company, for example, mm-hmm. uh, or Kinder Morgan, which uh, I own personally. In the interest K- of Kinder is not an MLP anymore. They converted to a corporation to KY. Correct. Correct. They converted to a corporation, but that's you know that's the kind of company I'm talking about here. And, and Williams is in the middle of a takeover battle, I think, right? So you yeah, still like it? I, yep, and I think that Williams is totally undervalued. I, I think that uh, I'm looking at it. They've got billions of dollars in capital improvement projects going right now, and the potential suitors know that those things have not yet paid off. So I think that, if anything, that bid is awful conservative. Anything else in addition to MLPs is a way to play energy? You know, right now, I think I'm content to let the dust settle. Uh, I, I want to see what's going to happen. But the big overarching concern for people to think about, they say, oh, I don't want to invest in energy right now. I would urge them to rethink that, and here's why. In, in all the global traders I've talked to, all the energy executives I've talked to over the years, particularly lately, I have not heard a single oil company executive worry about selling everything they bring out of the ground. There's a lot of demand for energy. Yes, Okay. All right. Your next unstoppable trend is technology, which you include human augmentation. What do you mean by human augmentation? Well, technology, again, is a lot bigger than people think. It's not just about smartphones. It's not just about chips. It's not about something like that. Uh, technology is about increasing human capacity, human efficiency. It's about making our lives better. Uh, stronger, faster. It's about medical rehabilitation. There are any number of areas in there, but the key is that they will improve uh, human life. And so to me, technology is a much broader field than just chips and sets that everybody else uses. So what would be some plays on ways to improve human life? Uh, For example, there is a company called Exobionics, a tiny small cap based in Southern California that I'm very interested in. They're making exoskeletons that are used for spinal rehabilitation uh, patients. 
and those are that's an intriguing small cap play, but it is very very speculative. Uh, it has its own set of issues and its own set of potential. But you can look at much bigger companies, for example, uh, somebody even like Apple or Google at the extreme opposite end of the spectrum, which are doing all kinds of things in artificial intelligence. The real link is is now into the human brain, into the human systems. The integration of human and biology and technology is not that far away. We will see it probably within the next five years, maybe even sooner. And those will be two of the best plays, diversified, but they're doing research in these new areas. Google X and those kind of things. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in my belief there, you look at Google and it's very easy to say, well, that's just a big, humongous company. No, it's not. Actually, I think it's four or five companies inside a big, humongous company. And my bet with Google, for example, is that ultimately Google gets broken up. And once Google gets broken up, either by antitrust regulation or the fact that they figure out that there are lots more value there, uh, that's a piece of a company that if you've got to, you know, got 100 years to spare, you could put your money there and feed five generations of your family kind of potential. And then your last unstoppable trend is what you call war, terrorism, and ugliness. There's plenty of that around. How, how do you invest in that in war, terrorism, and ugliness? Well, here the key is something that is admittedly a very, very unpleasant trend. Um, war, terrorism, and ugliness are unfortunately all growth industries. I think the key for war, terrorism, and ugliness is not necessarily the, the nature of the fight itself, but how it's prosecuted. Right now, we're increasingly shifting to uh, high communication, high data-driven, high-touch standoff warfare. That speaks to the need for missile systems and guidance, uh, communications gear that's made by people like Raytheon, for example, or by uh, smaller companies like Harris Communications, which makes the tactical radio sets and uh, satellite gear that used to communicate around the world. Okay, so that's in the military area. Are there other ways to, you're talking about battling terrorism and ugliness, not necessarily investing in ugliness and terrorism, is that correct? Correct, yeah, I mean, to be perfectly clear, you know, it's, 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 it's an extraordinarily nasty business, and, you know, the, the businesses that are going to keep us safe are those that make the hardware that is used by the troops who are standing in line uh, defending us against these kind of things. Like drones, are you a believer in drones as an investment? Well, I am, but it's very hard to extract that. That's a commodity-based knowledge. I'd be more interested in the communications gear driving the drone, for example, because that is a high security, high duplicate. Uh, it's very tough to duplicate that, and it, the contracts for those things are very, very specific. Anybody can make something that flies. So you want a proprietary technology in the investments that you have. Well, either proprietary or something that has a very restrictive contact or contract because I don't want to be easily duplicatable. Warren Buffett calls this a moat. You know, there's yes. got to be some sort of business moat there. So these are what you call your must-have companies instead of the nice-to-have companies. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. All right, well, we got about two minutes to go. And just kind of summing this whole thing up, we've got a very volatile world environment. Basically, you're saying there's lots of economic and investment opportunities despite all the volatility in the world. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely true, Jordan. From chaos comes opportunity. The question is your perspective and, and how you intend to either harness it or go hide your head in the sand. And history has shown that harnessing it is the road to profitability. Hiding your head in the sand is going to end badly. So a lot of people are kind of are hiding their head in the sand and keeping their money in cash and just worried about all these trends. You're saying it's time for them to kind of come out and take some qualified risks and the, the opportunities could be really great. 
Well, exactly. Again, you know, going by history, history is a definitive guide, and history shows beyond any shadow of a doubt that the path to profits is by making investments at times of maximum pessimism. And I would argue that we are very close to or at such time right now. Well, we are in certain political areas. I mean, the stock markets are still at pretty much record highs, so we're not pessimistic as far as the valuations. No, but uh, again, you know, from from there's an awful lot of people out there who are in this is the most hated bull market of all time. But there are still a lot of people on the sidelines saying, I don't know, I just can't bring myself to do this. The question is, what's your perspective? You know, do you need this money? Is it money you have to have? Is it money you intend to grow? Do you intend to pay for somebody's education, your own retirement? If the answers to any of those things are yes, then I would submit that you want to have capital in the markets because capital is a creative force. It wants to grow. The trick is putting it in the right place and having discipline and risk management to make it happen over time. Uh, so to me, it's, you know, it's a matter of grabbing on to one or two really big trends through their investment career and managing those things uh, confidently, using the rules of history in your favor, but also the protective risk management. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Keith Fitzgerald. He's the editor of the Total Wealth Research Newsletter and also chief investment strategist at moneymorning.com. You can find out more at Total Wealth Research or moneymorning.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Keith. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Thank you. And we're going to come back with our another, next guest after this break. We'll be back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. 
all from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Angela Sloan. She's the CEO and founder of the Sloan Financial Group based in South Carolina. Welcome back to the show, Angela. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Great to have you again. So you've done, let's do a little bit of background on you first. Kind of give a sense of your financial experience and uh, what kind of services you provide to your clients. Oh, wow. Well, um, I got into this business, like a lot of people, um, out of necessity, I guess, and I was going to save the world because I got cheated out of my life savings at a very young age. Um, Didn't realize it then, but now I know that that was my gift from heaven. So I started this company never realizing where it would go. So what we do for our clients is comprehensive planning. We do the tax planning. We're doing the retirement planning, the income planning, um, the risk management planning. We're doing the whole um, ball of wax under one roof. So you you had had a financial advisor you trusted with your money, Just tell us briefly what happened in that case, and when did you realize things had gone wrong? Well, I realized things had gone wrong. Um, We had been putting in $155 a month because we were were taught to save and had put in $14,440. And then at the ripe old age of 22, I was diagnosed with cancer, and the prognosis was not good. In fact, it was pretty grim. They'd given me a year, and I had two small babies. And for me, that just was not an option. Well, of course, we needed money to help for medical bills, and when I went to the account to get some money, realized that I only had a little over $800. So I thought, like everybody, this man has swindled me, he cheated me, he took my money, he's put it somewhere in a foreign bank account. You know, I was thinking all of these things had happened. And when, in fact, I was told by a regulator that what happened to me is unethical, but it wasn't illegal. And having grown up down the longest dirt road in the state of South Carolina, <laughs> that did not resonate in my mind. Like, how could it be unethical and not be illegal? Because where I come from, both of those things <laughs> were synonymous. <laughs> you didn't do one without the other. So what happened and, to the money? What happened to the 14000 Well, he kept coming and putting us into a different plan. Every time a baby was born or we would have, my husband would get a promotion, he would change our plan. And every time he did that, he was getting a big fat commission, and we were starting all over from zero. And, you know, he had us thinking that the money's being rolled over into the new plan. And, in fact, there was hardly any, any, and in some cases, nothing was being rolled into the new plan because it was all being eat up in fees and commissions. Now, there's regulations in place today that that would not happen in today's world, what, exactly what happened to me, but there's still some unscrupulous people out there. So I set out to save the world. It was like, okay, I'm going to keep this from happening to anybody else. And the way I got my start, literally, I was following this man. Well, I accidentally saw him parked in front of a neighbor's house, and I waited for him to come out, and I went and knocked on the neighbor's door. 
And I said, here's all my research. This is what I saw this guy do. He did to me. I just saw him live here. I know he's doing it to you, too. You need to listen to me. So every time I'd see his car, I'd knock on the door, never intending to sell anything because I didn't, didn't know anything about it other than what I had learned on my own because I took out all my papers and a Webster's Dictionary. I rewrote everything out on a legal pad, stood back and went, wow, why would anybody do this? Well, people do it because they were like me. They were ignorant. They were depending on somebody else to give them good advice. So one day he called me up and he threatened me because I was out doing all this and I didn't have a license. And being the sassy female that I am, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I might be half dead, but I'm not stupid. I can pass a test. And I slammed the phone down and went, okay, license, what exactly kind of license is he talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Have a driver's license? What kind of license are you supposed to have? (laughs) Now, I know now he couldn't have done anything to me because I wasn't selling anything. I was simply telling these people what happened to me. (laughs) But at the time, I didn't know that, and I was intimidated. So a fellow who worked with my husband had just finished his MBA, and he said, I know what kind of license you need. So he and I kind of worked together and he kind of gave me some guidance on what kind of licenses to get. So I got a securities licenses, and I got insurance licenses. <laughs> I just kept getting licenses. And then all of a sudden, one day, I got a commission check in the mail because I helped somebody open up a mutual fund and went, wow, you can make money doing this? This is easy. <laughs> I see. It's been growth ever since. All right. Now, one of the things you, you sent me recently. later, here I sit. <laughs> You had said you sent me something recently saying the best man for your money is a woman. Now, what do you mean by that? You, 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 why are women better investors than men? <laughs> They're more cautious. They they don't they don't care to live life on the on the edge. Um, so they're more cautious and they're more common sense. Um, women are more concerned about their future, but yet in the same breath, I'm going to tell you that they're the least likely to get the education because they're busy with their careers and running the household and raising the kids and going to soccer practice, and they just feel like they don't have time. And then when they take the time, they'll take the few minutes, and then they get overwhelmed, and then they push it to the back of the desk and go, I'll worry about that later. (laughs) One of the things that there's a big difference between men and women in overconfidence towards investors. Which are more overconfident? Oh, the men are. The men are. And the men have the mentality that, you know, hey, I can live life on the edge, I'll be okay, I can survive. Women, we females want security. Ladies, you know out there, I don't care how independent you are, I don't think they come any more independent than I am, but we want to know it's going to be there. So we will take a less return in exchange for that security. The and and diver- diversify more as well, right? Yes, oh yeah. So yeah. Um, the women are more conscientious but yet they're less educated, and they'll tell you that they're hungry for the education, and they'll make an attempt to get the education, and then it's time for a soccer practice, or one of the babies is crying, or, you know, something's going on at work, and they get sidetracked, and they they just don't tend to come back to it and stick it out. What are some ways for women who want to get education to, to get some good education about financial affairs and investing? Well, that's where we took the bull by the horns. Um, I saw that as a big issue for everybody. So we have our, I call it our learning center here in our office, which is a big conference room type classroom. 
uh, where we have the big flat screen TV monitor. Um, I put together PowerPoints, and we do all kinds of classes, everything from identity theft to how to manage your 401K to required minimum distributions, all the options on how to draw your Social Security, uh, how taxes impact your Social Security when you start drawing it. Um, particularly like to do it for single women because, you know, half the women out there are single, actually a little more than half are single, uh, whether it's by choice or by widowhood, and which is the other good point, is that women do control the money. And a lot of times they're dual inheritors. The, the average age of a widow is about 55. Um, and so at the same time, they're losing a husband, they're losing parents. So they're inheriting from the parents and they're inheriting from the husband. And how do they manage the money? All of a sudden they're slammed with, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> All of this yep. is coming at me. How do I handle it? You also talk about the difference between men and women as far as what you call trading hygiene. What do you mean by that? You say that again? You talk about trading hygiene, meaning the difference in over-trading versus under-trading, the difference between yeah. men and women. Right. Women want the security. So they want, they want stability. They want to say, okay, I'm going to go with this. This is my decision, and I'm going to stick to it, but I want something that I know is going to be there. The men will go, oh, don't like that one. Pull the plug. Let's try over here. <laughs> yeah. so, so they tend to be a little more trading in and out of the market or exchanging things one for another, so to speak, for lack of better terms. The women, they want, they want the long-term security. So the and you also are, talk about the difference be between... Maintenance. Yes. You talk about the difference about avoiding the herd. Uh, how do men and women different on kind of going with the flow or going with the next hot thing? I'm not so sure that's a male-female issue. Um, and when I say going with the herd... I know you've heard Warren Buffett say many times, you know, he buys when there's blood in the street. You know, if, if everybody's buying, he's selling. If everybody's selling, he's buying. And here's how we Americans play the stock market. Here's how we do it. Gee, you know what? Johnny down there at the gas station said that XYZ was a good stock. That keeps going up. I think I'm going to buy some. And the next day it goes up, and you go, wow, if it goes up again, I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to buy a few shares. And the next day it goes up, and you think, well, let's see if this can continue. And just about the time it gets almost to its peak, we jump in and we buy because it's been good. And then it starts going down. It'll hit a peak, and we'll feel good, and then it'll start going the other direction. We think, man, it went down today. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to watch it. If it goes down again tomorrow, I'm going to sell it. And then the next day it goes down, and we think, well, you know, maybe it'll come back. So I'm just going to hang on. And tomorrow it'll come back. And then it goes down some more. And about the time it gets almost to bottom, we pull the plug and we sell it. And we say, man, I, was, I couldn't take that anymore. I had to sell it. That's how we typically play the stock market. <laughs> instead of doing it, instead of buying low and selling high, we tend to buy high and sell low. And I don't know that, that there's a gender issue there. I think that's human nature. We want to see it work, and then we'll buy it, rather than also- buying when everybody else is selling. You also talk about admitting mistakes uh, because uh, men tend to be more overconfident. It's hard for them to admit mistakes, whereas women may be better at doing that. How does that affect their investment performance? Well, you know, you, you don't know you have a problem if you want to admit there's a problem. <laughs> so you have to admit there's the problem before you can recognize the problem. And men just kind of have a, 
a little bigger ego than women. Women will tend to get weepy and they'll say, you know, I screwed up. I, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, my job is to sit here and coach them and say, you know what, we all screw up. We're going to pick ourselves up. We're going to pull up our big girl panties and we're going to move on. The men is a little harder to have that talk with. because and I, you, I have to be very careful with them because, you know, men, their mentality is respect. And we're taught that in Scripture. You know, the wife's taught to respect her husband, not worship him, but respect him. And he's taught to love his wife. Why? Because we need that security. But I have to sit here and very respectfully let him come to the conclusion that he made a mistake. So I cannot talk to him as direct as I can the women, and probably vice versa. If it's a male advisor, he has to be very careful how he talks to the women, or he'll alienate her if he talks to her like she's a man. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. Women change advisors after their husbands die. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Angela Sloan. She's the CEO and founder of the Sloan Financial Group. Her website is sloanfinancial.net. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Angela Sloan. She's the CEO and founder of Sloan Financial Group based in Clover, South Carolina. Her website is sloanfinancial.net. Welcome back to the show, Angela. Thank you. Good so to we be want here. to talk about interest rates a little bit here. Now, uh, the, the Federal Reserve has been putting out kind of some noises they want to raise interest rates. Uh, with everything that's happening in Greece, do you think that they're still likely to raise interest rates? And if so, how should people uh, protect themselves against a rising interest rate environment? Well, let's, let's first address who will, who will that interest rate hike affect if it happens. Now, I am of the opinion it's going to be hard for it to happen. I'm also of the opinion that if it does, it probably won't be until 2016 for a lot of reasons. Um, but who will it affect? 
it's going to affect everybody, whether you're a saver or whether you're a spender, whether you're buying or whatever. And first of all, we've already seen some effect on mortgage rates. You know, mortgage rates took a hike this past week. They went up to 4.07. However, remember, they're still lower than they were this time last year. This time last year, they hit 4.12. But what you run into with the mortgages is that it's going to make it very hard for, for people to buy a home. And if it hits 6%, there was actually a, an analysis done by House Canary, and they said if it hits 6%, one-third of millennials, those 35 and under, won't be able to afford a home. For those who currently have the adjustable rate mortgages, they're going to see rates go up. And we, we've seen that before. We, we saw what happened when people's interest rates went up and their house payments increased three or $400 a month. So it's going to affect the mortgages. Um, it's also going to affect those buying a car. So, you know, it would be interesting to see if interest rates do rise, the impact it's going to have on the housing and on the auto industry. In the mortgage area, if you were to buy a house today, would you go for a fixed or a just rate mortgage? Or, and would you do 15-year or 30-year? Fixed. I can't say that loud enough. Fixed. I mean, how, so you, can rates go up or go down? How can they go down? So if well, they move, they'll almost have to move up. But the next question is, you know, how is it going to affect the savers? Okay, your, your savers, those that are CD investors or those that are buying new U.S. bonds, they're going to see a higher rate. Right now, the average interest rate in America is probably about a half of a percent. So if interest rates go up, they'll see some increase in, in their savings interest. But those who already have bonds, you're going to see the bond value go down. Do, do you see savings rates will, going up in a significant way? I mean, like over 1% from half a percent or so? I don't, and here's why. If interest rates rise 1%, and you have the person out there who has a 20-year bond. So let's say they have a 20-year U.S. government bond of some sort. Interest rates go up 1%. The value of that bond is going to drop 12.5%. Yeah. Now, so that as long as you hold that bond to maturity or it's called, and that whoever you uh, purchase that bond fund can pay the money back, then you'll get your money, but you're just going to have to hold on. Now, if interest rates have risen and you're sitting there with a 2% bond and now the average person can go out there and buy a 4% bond, that makes the resale value of your bond lower. That's, that's why that drops. And, you know, what's even worse for bonds, though, is inflation. So it's going to affect the bond markets. You know, bonds have had a 30-year rally. The other thing is that it's going to affect businesses, in particular small businesses. So are they going to cut back on employment because now they've got to pay more interest depending on the type of business? You know, they're going to have to pay more interest on inventories and, you know, lines of credit and that kind of thing. Well, sure, that's typically what happens is they cut back on employment. So it's going to affect the businesses. It's going to affect the mortgages. It's going to affect the, the ones buying a car. It's going to affect your credit card rates. Um, it's going to affect the bond buyers as well as the people who already hold bonds. Um, so it's literally going to affect everybody. So um, if somebody had it's money... It's going to affect the stock market. The stock market typically don't like it when interest rates rise. So, um, it, it, and, and we've already seen the effects of just the talk of it. 
you've seen the volatility in the market with just the talk. But how realistic is it, really? You know, at first they were going to raise them, I think they, they said something about April, and then, nope, can't do it in April, maybe we'll do it in June. Nope, can't do it in June. Uh, now they're saying maybe September. If you look at the situation in Europe, the quantitative easing is still going on. You look at the situation in Greece, and so many people overseas hold our bonds. Okay, a lot of other countries have U.S. bonds. How can we raise the interest rate? And how can the government pay the interest on their own debt if that happens? I just It just doesn't compute in my simple little brain. So you think interest rates are going to stay pretty much the same. So for people who have money uh, in CDs and money market funds and treasury bills, pretty much earning nothing, and they don't want to take the risk, as you say, if they go into bonds and rates go up, they could lose principal. They're too worried about the stock market. What do you recommend for them to earn something decent instead of sitting there earning nothing? Well, it depends on how liquid do they need the money. It depends uh, what is this money for. If this money is to produce income, you know, a CD is definitely not going to do it. There was a time it could, but it hasn't been that way for quite some time. If it's IRA money and they're under the required minimum distribution, it's probably going to run out pretty quick because that first year's uh, required minimum distribution is around 3.8%. If you're earning a half a percent or 1% on your money, you're going in the hole, not to mention what inflation's doing to you. You know, I know the government tells us that the overall inflation rate's around 2%. But everything they count doesn't matter to you and I down here on the street. What matters to you and I are the energy prices, your gas prices, and your food prices. So common sense tells you that food prices have gone up a heck of a lot more than any 2%. So what is the reality of mining your inflation rate? It's a little bit higher than 2%. Um, so inflation's killing you. You're going in the hole if you're under the required minimum distribution in a retirement, you know, an IRA, or if you're in a 401K and you've gone to the, to the very conservative side. I saw one this morning. The annual rate of return was 1.1%. And she's getting ready to retire. She can't keep that. She'll, she'll never be able to live on it. So what do you reckon? So somebody comes into your office and says, I've got a certain amount of money, whatever, $50,000 or so. I can't keep it in CDs and money funds earning less than 1%. I'm having a higher rate of inflation than the official 1% or 2%, as you say. Um, I don't want to take risk. What do you tell them to do with their money to be able to stay ahead of that inflationary uh, pressures? And there again, depending on, depending on the liquidity need. If they tell me they want it liquid, they don't have a choice. They're going to have to take less return. If they want safety, the exchange for the safety then they're going to have to go a longer period of time with some type insurance product. Um, and, of course, that should keep them ahead of inflation as well. But they're going to have to give up the liquidity. So if they then their options are pretty slim. Their choice for liquidity is to either take risk and put it in some type market instrument or bond instrument or keep it in a money market or a CD. So it depends on what, what is it. And that's a, one of the first questions I ask if somebody's sitting here with a lump sum of money, what is it that you want this money to do for you? And what everybody's wanting, and this is consistent. I hear this day in and day out. I want a good rate of return. I need some liquidity. And I don't want any risk. Well, guess what? I don't care what you choose. You can't have all three of those. <laughs> so you're telling them you, they I mean, can't get what they, they want. Can't do it. <laughs> And so sometimes it's having a, a, a reality check. 
Okay, let's talk about the rate of return. You want a good rate of return, you're going to have to take risk or you're going to have to give up time. You don't want any risk, then you're going to have to give up return. You want liquidity, you're going to have to give up return. I mean, you it's a trade-off. You're going to trade one to get the others. So a lot of times it's a combination of things. You know, Yale University did the study, and they came out with the asset class diversification, which I'm a firm believer in, um, and we use it. Um, faithfully, I use it. So I try to go to the different asset classes because that's the only that's the way that you're going to get all three. You're going to have to have some over here for the long-term growth where you're going to take some risk, understanding you know, this is going to be maybe an up-and-down situation, but this is for long-term growth. When I say long-term, 10 years or so. And then this money here in the middle, this is where I don't want so much volatility, but I need a good dividend return. So that one, you know, it might be some preferreds. Um, it might be some type shorter-term bond. It might be maybe some type of alternative investment. And then you have this other pot of money over here. I'm under the required minimum distribution. I have to take this income. I don't have a choice. I don't want this money to ever run out. Then you're talking about some type insurance product because you're taking all of that risk and you're going to transfer that over to an insurance company. Yeah, So very that's good. where you, you go out and you shop for those different um, types of products that can get that job done. Very good. And it's okay, well, we have to end somebody the... that understands that and understands the tax impact. That is all important is understanding that tax impact. Very good. Okay, well, thanks so much, Andrew. Uh, Angela, we've learned a lot this half hour. My guest this half hour has been Angela Sloan. She's the CEO and founder at Sloan Financial Group in Clover, South Carolina. Uh, her website is sloanfinancial.net. Thanks so much for and being Jordan, a guest on The Money Answer Show. Jordan, I am required to mention that my broker-dealer is Madison Avenue Security, so I have to be compliant. Very good. You are now officially Thank compliant. <laughs> thanks so Thank much, and so we'll be much, back. And you have a wonderful day. You too. We'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.